Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bones. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Hey, podcast listeners. Just a quick editor's note from me, Anna. The intro to this sermon is a little bit abbreviated because Nikayla began the sermon with a meditation on breath, uh, which had a video of the sound of wind through the trees playing in the background. However, on the audio file that came out in the foreground and you couldn't hear what she was saying, so I have cut that. So if the beginning of this sermon feels a little bit abbreviated, uh, that's what's going on there, but it's still an incredibly beautiful and insightful sermon, so I hope that you enjoy listening to it. Thanks. Interestingly, um, in Hebrew, actually, in our Bible, um, the word for breath is the exact same word for spirit and wind. Breath. Breath is life. And this is acknowledged, actually, this idea that breath is sacred, that breath is life, by various traditions all around the world. This has been true since the dawn of human history. Um, the Tao religion, uh, which originates in China, calls this sacred breath the ki or the chi. The Hindus call it prana. The Greeks called it the pneuma. The Hebrews called this breath or spirit the ruach. And in Latin, the word for breath is spiritus. Breath and spirit and wind um, are the same thing in so many ways. And I want to um, challenge us this morning, or this morning? Gosh, it's been a while since I was a Sunday morning preacher. No, no. But old habits die hard. I don't know. Um, actually, interestingly, not just I mentioned um, China and, and Hinduism and Greeks and Hebrews, but even in Canada, um, did you know that there's an entire province named after the great breath? You know that the Algonquin word for great spirit is Gichi Manitou, and Manitoba comes from this word. This is an indigenous uh, word and, and tradition and practice around the world that breath and spirit and wind and life are somehow sacredly connected. You know this firsthand, the trauma is probably still in your body somewhere. COVID-19 shut down the entire world for nearly two years because of this one fact. It turns out we're all connected through breathing. Are we not? A tiny unseen virus can hitch a ride on my breath and within a matter of days can travel the globe because we are breathing the same breath, you and I, across this land. Our breath connects us. It's amazing that someone catching a flight from one part of the world to the next might stop in the Calgary airport, and then I might spend the next two weeks in isolation, because we're connected through our breathing, through our breath. Did you know the studies have shown that breathing <clears throat> really does actually affect everything? Anna knows this, and she'll share about a little bit of this at communion, far better than I will right now. But when you feel calm and safe, you breathe differently than when you feel stressed and anxious. When you feel safe, you feel relaxed, you feel calm. Your breathing um, often slows. You might breathe more deeply or breathe more uh, lowerly. Lower? You breathe low, deeply? You know what I'm trying to say. Um, when you feel relaxed and safe, this is because um, you're under the influence of your parasympathetic nervous system. But when you feel afraid or in pain, your breath speeds up and becomes shallow. 
Think about a panic attack or hyperventilating. Literally, it's hard to breathe. When you're stressed, it's hard to breathe. Um, if any of you have had the privilege of birthing a child, the key, they say, is your breath. Breathing. You'll do coaching. You'll go to classes to remember to breathe um, while experiencing that uh, great life event. If you live in a state of constant stress or anxiety, it is impossible to breathe well. This can lead to high blood pressure, heart disease. Hamish, welcome. God bless you. We're so happy you're here. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, if you don't breathe well, because of stress and anxiety. This leads to high blood pressure, heart disease, insomnia, depression. It weakens your immune system. Breathing is life. So do you feel it right now? Sometimes I notice I'll go hours and I realize I've been holding my breath. Um, it feels dangerous sometimes to just let your body breathe. They, I just read an article that said um, body image is a, a huge issue, obviously, um, around the world. But here in the West, um, especially young women don't know how to breathe because we've been taught that Having a flat stomach is the key to life and your social currency. So to take a deep breath, you've got to fill your belly. But if you're taught that that's bad, because you're not allowed to exist with a belly, we don't know how to breathe anymore. It's a trauma. It's kept us from breathing. In fact, what we just experienced as a group, um, group singing is a form of breathing. They say that group singing is an incredible, invigorating, and life-giving way of simply breathing together. When we were just singing these exceptional songs, we were all inhaling and exhaling at the same time. It happened subconsciously. We didn't even realize it. We were breathing together. And studies show that <clears throat> deep breathing um, that we do together, which the easiest way to do that is by singing, um, we are uh, releasing or experiencing a release of oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone. We sing together, we breathe together, we feel connected, you feel a sense of belonging, which means it's easier to breathe. Did you know that um, when we breathe together and we experience together this bonding hormone of oxytocin, it lowers our cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone. When we sing together, our heart rates synchronize. We feel connected. And it's no wonder that for thousands of years, we've um, sung together as part of our sacred gatherings. It's how we breathe. The scriptures say that love, perfect love, casts out fear. So think of that. When you feel loved, when you feel connected, you can breathe. When you feel afraid, you can't. Love gives us breath. Fear takes it away. Consider Eric Garner. In 2014, it was put in a prohibited chokehold by a New York uh, police officer and cried out 11 times the infamous phrase, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, 11 times until lo before losing consciousness and shortly afterwards being pronounced dead. George Floyd in 2020 was murdered in the same way because a police officer with a, a, a prohibited use of force made it impossible for him to breathe and he was murdered. And the Black Lives Matter movement burst out across the world as if the heart of all who've been marginalized and silenced by white supremacy cried out and continue to cry out the same thing. We want to breathe. We want breath. Love casts out fear. Love lets us breathe. Fear takes it away. And so let's focus and reflect for a moment on the God of life, the breath-giving God. I think you will really appreciate, I'm going to just do a, a somewhat 
of a big sweeping tour across the scriptures and reflect on how deeply connected um, the God that is revealed in scripture um, is to breath. Genesis 1, in fact, um, your translation in your Bible will say something like this. I'm going to talk about the Hebrew, but it says, um, in the beginning, God. And then it's, this is important for a video I'm going to show at the end. The verbs in Hebrew are always gendered. And so if we read it literally, it would say, in the beginning, God, he created um, the sky and the land. And traditionally, in like an ancestral, cult, uh, sorry, indigenous culture, which is the, the culture of our spiritual ancestors, wouldn't think heavens and earth as in like, the unseen realm where angels are, and in the earth, like the globe and the Milky Way. Like, that's not what's in the imagination of Genesis 1-1. It's not the heavens, like the galaxies. Um, essentially, it's the sky and the land. Local. Localize it. So in the beginning, God, he created the sky and the land. Now the land was welter and waste, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now the spirit of God, and then the verb here is um, gendered with a she pronoun. The spirit of God, she, was hovering. And this word in Hebrew is very difficult to understand. It's something like hovering, quivering, or pulsing over the waters. And this is key because the word for spirit in Hebrew is the exact same. No difference uh, with, of wind and breath. So it could just as reasonably say the wind of God was hovering um, over the water. Or the breath of God was pulsating over the water. The breath of God was inhaling and exhaling over the water. Or the spirit of God was quivering over the waters. And in Genesis 2-7, we're taught that the creation of the first humans is actually the same as the, all the animals. Um, but it says in Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed an earthling, that's what the word Adam means, is the soiling, the one from the soil, an earthling, um, created an earthling from the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the earthling came alive. It could just as reasonably say, um, breathed into his nostrils the wind of life or the spirit of life and the earthling came alive. In Genesis 8, um, this is actually a big deal. The breath of God is a big thing in scripture. Genesis 8 is the story of the flood. Um, the whole world is welter and waste once again and covered in water. But uh, it says God remembered Noah, all those alive and all the animals with him in the ark and God sent a wind or spirit or breath over the earth. So the, the wind of God was, was hovering over the waters once again in Genesis 8. In Exodus 14, another wind of God over the waters story, um, Moses is going to part the Red Sea, um, but it's actually the breath of God that does it. It says in 1421 of Exodus, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord pushed the sea back by a strong east wind, breath, spirit, all night. Turning the sea into dry land, the waters were split into two. So you can picture now the sound of the wind over the waters and imagine these our, our, our um, ancestors of our faith understood that as the breath of God. Um, in Exodus 15, actually, there's a whole song about the breath of God uh, commemorating the, the uh, Exodus event anyway. It's a beautiful poem. It's probably one of the oldest texts in the entire Bible, actually. Um, Moses' song in Exodus 15, it says, With the breath of your nostrils, the waters swelled up. And remember also that could be spirit or wind. The flood surged up in a great wave. The deep waters foamed in the depths of the sea. The enemy said, I'll pursue, I'll overtake, I'll divide the spoils of war. I'll be overfilled with them. I'll draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind or your breath or your spirit. The sea covered over them. They sank like lead in the towering waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? 
The Psalms talk about the breath of God quite often. I'm just going to highlight four um, small verses here. This is, I'm just going to quote the Bible for the next 10 minutes, and then we'll just cry together and be like, ah, let's breathe. Okay, Psalm 18, the seabeds were exposed. It's obviously a psalm remembering maybe the Exodus, maybe the flood, maybe creation. Um, the seabeds were exposed. The earth's foundations were laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the angry blast of air coming from your nostrils. In Psalm 33, the skies were made by the Lord's word, all their starry multitude, by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 135, God forms clouds at the far corners of the earth. God makes lightning for the rain, and God releases the wind from its storeroom. And then the last psalm in the entire uh, collection of psalms um, is this call to praise. Uh, we might sing this doxology today. He says, everything that has breath, shall praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Because where did our breath come from? In the Proverbs, I don't quote Proverbs very often. Still have some unresolved issues with that book. <laughs> we'll get there, <laughs> you know? I'm like, <sighs> okay. But this is a beautiful text. Uh, the teacher says, um, who has ascended into heaven? This reminds me of um, God's speech to Job. Um, who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. I love that. Who has gathered the wind in his fists? And there's a story, actually. I didn't put the text up here because I just wanted to like have you um, hear me dramatically explain it because it's such an epic story. But the story of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37 is all about the breath of God, if you recall. Um, it says in Ezekiel 37, the hand of the Lord was on me. This is Ezekiel the prophet. And he brought me out by the spirit slash wind slash breath of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. So that's a sense of like utter hopelessness and despair. Dry bones. It's a group of uh, folks who've been dead a long time. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a many, I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he said to me, human one, can these bones live? I said something like, who knows? <laughs> Probably not, but you're God. So that's my translation. Um, it actually is sovereign Lord. Only you know. Same thing, right? Oh. So he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And this is what you say when you prophesy to dry bones if you're Ezekiel. Um, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin, and I will put breath in you, and you will come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone, tendon to tendon, flesh to flesh. Um, and it continues, there's these living beings, but there's no breath in them. So finally, he says, prophesy to the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say, come wind from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they might live. And so I did, and uh, they lived. This great hope of breath, of new life. Um, two from the New Testament, of course, which like balance this appropriately. Um, I love this text where Jesus, um, Jesus is the incarnate God of breath, God of life, the same God that breathed life into the earthling, that calmed uh, 
the raging floodwaters that parted the, the Exodus, the Red Sea. Um, here we have Jesus speak uh, in a storm. And he says, why are you afraid of this storm? Imagine the wind beating against the boat. Why are you afraid you have little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds, the breath, the spirit, and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed because what kind of a man that even the winds and the sea can obey him. And finally, in John's gospel, um, this is kind of our origin story. Um, we'll celebrate this at, at Pentecost, uh, so to speak, here in two weeks. Nicodemus said to him, how can a person be born when he is old? Isn't that the question we all want to ask? What hope is there for fresh starts? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of the water and the spirit, or the breath, or the wind, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. And I love this verse so much. The wind blows where it wishes, or the spirit blows where it wishes. The breath blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from and where it is going. And so is everyone who has been born of the spirit, breath, and wind. Think about the air that is all around us. Where does it come from? We know it comes from trees, plants, the color green. Think of the birds. We're going to talk about birds here for a moment. Birds are obviously intimately connected to the breath, the spirit, the wind of God. I'm going to, um, we're going to hit play on another uh, video clip. It's another winds in the trees, but this time you can hear the birds whose homes are in the trees. And this is the sound all of us hear every morning right now, right? It's the most magical sound. You sleep with your window cracked a bit. Did you know there are more trees on Earth than there are stars in the Milky Way? Scientists estimate about 3.1 trillion trees on planet Earth, which works out to about 422 per person. Imagine how many leaves are in the world if you consider 3.1 trillion trees. They say that a mature oak tree has half a million leaves. So consider how leafy our world is. The leaves of the tree, of which there are countless, consume carbon and release oxygen. The trees are all breathing like you and I. Um, some magical scientific thing that is beyond my understanding takes place between the sunlight and the tree, which turns the leaves green. Photosynthesis. We convert light, light into energy mind-blowing. I don't get it. But that's where our oxygen comes from. This month, May, and, and soon June, you can tell this week, actually, it was this week, uh, last Sunday, the buds were just thick, um, about to burst. And this Sunday, there's a lot more green in our world than, we, than was last week, right? This month, um, the northern forests of the world will explode with life and become like 
global vacuum cleaners inhaling all of the carbon emissions um, and exhaling clean and pure oxygen. In fact, there's this excellent video uh, 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 that NASA made showing the way that it just kind of shows like all the trees in the northern hemisphere um, over the course of a year. And then it shows like the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and it's like really bad, like the carbon's like dark red, it's really bad until June. And then all of a sudden when all the leaves burst, the carbon, it just disappears. And you kind of get, it, it goes really quickly and you can see the whole year and it looks like the earth is just breathing. All the forests are inhaling and exhaling. Um, it comes from the trees. <clears throat> Think about wind turbines. I remember as a kid driving down towards like Fernie and you could see that giant valley of big windmills. It was the coolest thing ever, right? But I didn't understand it. I still don't understand. Um, but they say that um, their winds could power our world. Um, that the amount of electricity that we could generate with just the wind could power our world. Um, the wind. Not only do trees breathe like us and clean the air and give us oxygen, the winds of the world could power our life. So can you feel the wind in your mind's eye? Can you feel yourself hiking on a mountain in Kananaskis and as you get out of the tree line, you feel the winds whipping against your face? Can you picture it right now? I remember hiking um, many mountains on warm days, um, thinking it would be this like blissful Eden, you know, the Rocky Mountains, um, which shockingly is never the case. You get out of the tree line and what often happens is that the gusts of wind make it hard to stand. It's so strong, it, it's hard to get to the top of a mountain because of the great wind. After a big windy hike, my ears would hurt. I get earaches the next day because of the wind just beating against your ear, it's so loud. And after a big windy hike, um, my face and lips are often burned not from the sun, but from being whipped by the wind. This is actually why um, David and I named our son Raven. Um, because we'd be sitting on the top of a mountain after a very stressful ascent. <laughs> a few life-threatening moments, which the mountains give us. They're great gifts. Um, and we would get up there, finally, like, breathing at the summit of the mountain. Like, we made it up here. Wow, we're alive. <laughs> ah, we made this choice. <laughs> yeah. um, and as we're kind of reflecting on human frailty and vulnerability and how fleeting our life is against the backdrop of these sheer cliff faces which have been here for millions of years, um, and that contrast between human soft flesh and these mighty mountains, it would blow our minds that without fail, every single summit, every time, if you sit long enough, the ravens will come. And the ravens will play. They're just playing in the wind. They'll be dive bombing and flipping and, and speaking back and forth to each other with all these many different sounds ravens can make. And they're just playing in the wind riding the gusts of wind, but I can't see. That blows my mind that there's air currents. Like, you know when you're in an airplane and suddenly there's turbulence? Why? How does that work? What's going on? Well, there's currents. It's phenomenal. It's as if birds and airplanes are swimming in the sky. The same way that the great ocean creatures um, fly in the skies below. I think of the birds. They know the wind. And so, it shouldn't shock you, actually. Did you know that in the Bible, the most common, and there isn't really a word for this, I have anthropomorphism, but anthro is referring to humans, so I should probably write aviomorphism? Yeah. Anthropomorphism, aviomorphism. The most common anthropomorphism, go with it, for God is actually that of a bird in the Bible. God's described more with bird terminology than human terminology, other than like Jesus, obviously. Cornerstone of our faith, don't worry. But uh, in the Old Testament especially, it's bird imagery. Um, there is a... Uh, bird image of a raven playing in the wind 
on this slide. That's not, yeah, see, those look playful ravens. Um, so the most common um, imagery for describing the body of God is bird imagery in the Bible. Um, God's portrayed throughout scripture as a beaked and feathered being. Holy Spirit, the spirit of God that hovers over the face uh, in Genesis 1. That word hovering is the word often associated with what birds do. Um, a dove comes from the sky at Jesus' baptism in three of the four Gospels, and the sky speaks, this is my son, and the dove is there in everyone. And that's not just like a bird flying by. The understanding is that that's God. Uh, in the Psalms, there's a lot of talk of the pinions of God, of God gathering people in her wings, and, and beautifully in the bird imagery with God, it's often um, she, her pronouns. In Deuteronomy 32, um, Moses' deathbed speech, um, speaking of God, says, like an eagle protecting her nest, hovering over her young, God spread out his wings, took hold of Israel, and carried him on his back. The idea that God is a bird. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem in three of the four Gospels, lamenting that he could not gather up um, her people like a hen gathers her chicks. I've decided with great trepidation that today's the day I will finally share with you this story of after two years, why on earth there is a pigeon feather taped to the pulpit that not many people have noticed, but I'm very um, protective of this little pigeon feather because I'll tell you, um, I learned about it uh, almost two years ago, around the time that COVID started, that the, the Greek and the Hebrew, the word for dove is the same as pigeon. It's just English translators have chose to, chosen dove when they could have chosen pigeon. It's the same word. Think about how differently, uh, symbolically, the dove functions than the pigeon. And then I won't tell you the answer, but why do you think Western English translators chose dove? Hmm, hmm. Purity. They're all virgins, I think. All the doves of the world, right? Yeah. Whiteness. There's just something about the dove image. Why not pigeon? A dove is a pigeon. It seems worth repeating. A dove is a pigeon. We may have imagined that the dove at Jesus' baptism was white and virginal. But it was more likely gray, with an iridescent green and violent neck, a rock dove, which is a very common dove in Palestine, <laughs> considered to be the ancestor of our common domestic pigeon. The kind that gathers in subway stations, that nests in our eaves, that poops all over buildings and sidewalks. Um, they're often referred to as feral pigeons, and everybody hates them, even though they're like one of the most beautiful birds in the world. How is that for a symbol of the Holy Spirit? A nuisance, an infestation. They're kind of dirty, but strangely beautiful. I think it's a good one. It's ubiquitous. It's on the streets. Awaken has struggled for the last several years with a pigeon infestation. We paid money last year to board up some holes, and they're not around as much. And this is my tragedy, not the people who maintain the building. This is mine. But I'll tell you this story. So as you know, um, COVID was a difficult time. Uh, for everybody, for different reasons. <laughs> Pastors had a hard time with COVID, not a harder time than other people, obviously. So I feel like I have to put so many caveats on what I'm about to say, because by no means am I trying to say that pastors had it harder than other people in a global pandemic. But I did experience something that I never imagined ever experiencing that was extremely painful over and over and over for two years straight. <laughs> All right. I didn't, this is a, uh, I should have written this down. Okay. So there was a few Sundays early in COVID where, you know, I was just doing preaching, leading an awakened service from my laptop in my living room, right? Like I found some YouTube videos with some songs uh, and then I would kind of preach and then try and do communion. And there's maybe like eight or nine little boxes on the Zoom meeting, just a name, no cameras on. 
And I'm like, hey, everyone. <laughs> like, I wasn't just crying. <laughs> Good to see all your lovely names on the black box. <laughs> I miss you. Would give anything for my face not to be the only one on here right now. But no pressure, no pressure. God bless, you know. <laughs> I'm just going to process this out loud here because here we are. Um, and I remember after a few months, maybe, of this weird COVID Sundays, I moved the church. I moved into the building. I came in here. It was all empty. It was all alone. Cried a little. Set up the communion table because I thought all the folks on Zoom would love to see the actual awakened communion table. And I put, like, a chair and a stool so that my laptop could be precarious so you could see me and the communion table. There was real wine in the cup. <laughs> uh, shouldn't have told you that, but, you know. Um, and then in this one particular service, this, this only happened really like once or like a few times in my memory, but there was maybe like four faces on the Zoom meeting. <laughs> and I'm like, here we go. That's fine. It's not about how many people are at church. That is absolutely true. But still, it's kind of lonely. Um, I think it was around Mother's Day, which was always a difficult time for me. I was teaching an intensive module at Awaken, and once I recorded an hour and a half lecture of me all peppy, like, hey, everyone, let's talk about Proverbs. And then I was going to go start church. I realized that I had had my um, mute button on, so the entire lecture I recorded failed. A few little sobs, and then I started church, and the four boxes were there. And I was like, hey, everyone, like calling them by name. I knew their kids' names, whatever. And I did the, the church service, the sermon, and the communion, and I had my little cracker and my little wine, and I was like, God loves you. God's with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. Great. Okay, and I gave my benediction. Go in peace. You are loved. Nobody logged off. <laughs> So I start cleaning up because I'm like a pretty, um, I don't know, like codependent. I don't know the word, but I'm not going to log off until other people log off in case they felt like sad by that, you know. So I kept it logged on in case maybe people were just lingering because they wanted to talk to the pastor on Zoom after everyone else logs off. And that was the story I told myself, that everyone was just waiting for a special chance to talk to me. So I'm putting stuff away. I'm cleaning up. An hour and a half went by and nobody logged off. So do you know what that means? <laughs> nobody was there. Everybody felt bad for me because, you know, I'm a new pastor in COVID. So they just logged on to church and then left, went out for dinner, whatever they were. I, probably not dinner was COVID, but they were somewhere else. But then at least their face was there and their name was there and it was okay because then Nikayla would feel better. Um, but, but I realized this about an hour after being here by myself that not a single person had actually attended the church service I'd put on. And I just put, I, I just felt like such an idiot. I was humiliating that I was like, hey, everyone, I'm making jokes. I'm like talking about all, whatever. And so I ended the meeting, and then I did what every rational, normal, healthy person would do. Collapsed on the ground and wailed at the top of my lungs. Why, God, did you not protect me from pastoring a church in a global pandemic? Meanwhile, there's this pigeon infestation, and all these windows have little pigeons everywhere, right? And they're, like, pecking at the glass, and it was kind of this obnoxious thing. that happened all the time. And I had just learned, actually, this wild idea that pigeons and, and doves are the same thing. And I was feeling a lot of self-pity, um, being a pastor alone in COVID, and no, everybody just sort of fake attended church, and I was sort of feeling very sad for myself. And then I swear I heard, like, the voice of God said, um, Nikayla, the pigeons have never missed a word. The pigeons have heard every sermon. The pigeons have attended every single reading of the gospel. The Holy Spirit has infested this building, and they might try to board up the walls. We might scrape the poop off the side of the building week in, week out, but those pigeons are here to stay. And it occurred to me 
that I can be a pastor and proclaim the gospel if it's just a pigeons, and I will do that for the rest of my life. And so for Sundays then, for like the next couple months, I felt a lot of anxiety going into church that everybody was just fake attending. So I taped a pigeon feather to the pulpit to remind myself um, that you, are, you don't have to go to church. I bless you. You're allowed to go. You don't have to fake attend. And I will work through that, me and the pigeons together in this room, and we will both come out of it better. And I remembered the pigeons, that the spirit is a pigeon. Um, we don't notice the spirit very often, but the spirit is always here. The spirit is breath. The spirit is wind. The spirit is presented in scripture as a bird, riding the heights, swimming in the sky, at home in both realms, on earth as in the heavens. And the pigeons are here in places of loneliness, in places of poverty, in places where people don't want them to be. <laughs> Our God is a bird. Our God is spirit. And so, I didn't mean that story to take so long, I'm sorry, but there you have, that's our, that's our pigeon feather story. And I'm, the pigeons, they're out somewhere, probably swimming in the air with their babies that were born this month. Is the imprint still on the window? There's a glorious full body pigeon imprint on this window I see all the time. Probably the pigeon died after that. But that's also part of our Christian story, so I love it. <laughs> I love it. I just love the awakened pigeons. Anyway, if you have a chance to just like see the window there, you'll still see the pigeon face. But um, yeah, <laughs> oh, am I blushing right now? All right, see, so I turn off my video. The air is not a random bunch of gases simply drawn to earth by the earth's gravity. The air is actually an elixir generated by the soils, the oceans, the numberless organisms that inhabit this world. Each creature exchanging certain ingredients for others as it inhales and exhales drinking the sunlight with our leaves, or filtering the water with our gills, all of us are contributing to the composition of this phantasmagoric brew, circulating it steadily between us and nourishing ourselves on its magic, generating ourselves from its substance. The air is as endemic to the earth as the sandstone beneath your boots when you're hiking. Perhaps, and there's a book I love called Becoming Animal by David Abram, and he proposes that we shouldn't call the earth earth, we should call it the earth. Hear me out. He says, perhaps we should add the letter I to our planet's name and call it earth, in order to remind ourselves that the air is entirely a part of the earth, and the I, or the capital I, or the self, is wholly immersed in this fluid element. The gilt-edged clouds overhead are not plunging westward as the planet rolls beneath them because they themselves are a part of this rolling earth. Creatures of the embracing air, of an invisible but nonetheless material layer of this planet, the clouds accompany the earth as it turns, their shape-shifting bodies drifting this way and that with the winds. And we, imbibing and strolling through the same air, do not then live on the earth but in it. We are enfolded within it, permeated, carnally, immersed in the depths of this breathing planet. And at the heart of our Christian faith is the bold proclamation that God is also so immersed in the depths of this breathing earth with us. Um, and so as a conclusion, consider this series, the elements, earth, fire, water, air. It's the fiery sun that makes the earth green. Consider the color green, how it just travels around the earth. It's June now and everything's green, but in Australia, it's, you know, the color green just rotates around the earth. The sun does that. The fire does that. The fire makes the earth green as long as there's water and healthy soil. 
and the green earth makes the air. Within each of us is spirit, breath, fire, water, earth. Within our creator God, there is fire, flesh, water, and spirit. Even the scriptures, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, are what? God breathed. God breathed. So while fear and anxiety, hatred and prejudice might make breathing difficult and, extreme, and in extreme cases impossible, our God is a breath-giving God. Christianity today, sadly, is often viewed as an unearthly religion with little to say about everyday life in the natural world. It has focused on the salvation of human souls and so has lost touch with the role the verdant world of animals and plants and land and water plays in human well-being. In theory, the incarnation, which is at the heart of our faith, God as an elemental body, renders our faith and our tradition a fleshy and worldly belief system. Sadly, in reality, we seem to be best known for our war against the flesh. We seem to be best known for dismissing the material world as corrupted and contaminated by sin. And so the truth is, as long as Christians imagine their destiny in a far-removed heaven of bodiless bliss, we will continue to become more and more callous and disconnected, less and less invested in the well-being and the flourishing of this good land. We will become less connected to the spirit less connected to the breath-giving God who is with us and within us, who is an enfolded part of this breathing world that sustains us. And so my challenge to you, Awaken Church, as your pastor who loves you very much, is to breathe, to be known by love. Make it so people can breathe around you. Acknowledge the God who is part of all of this. God is there in the trees, in the water with the birds. And so may you access the breath of God. May you know the God who is spirit, the God who is a bird, the God who is element, the God whose breath enlivens the world, who inhaled with a whale the night he was born, and who breathed his last at Calvary. May you know the spirit breath of God who is always connecting us more and more deeply, reconciling all things together, bringing us home, groaning on our behalf, May you know the God whose Holy Spirit birthed the church on the day of Pentecost and who pierces through the pain and the darkness of this world to make all things new. Our God is an elemental God. And so incarnate, come home to your body and may your body come home to this great body that is our good world made by our God. I'm going to pray for you and Anna's going to lead us to this table where we will consume the flesh of God together and become a part of one another. Oh God, you are the breath in our lungs. Our life comes from you. Our life is sustained by you. And we stand in wonder and awe as we reflect on the way the trees breathe the same breath, the way the muskrats and the butterflies, the dandelions, our enemies, strangers, people we don't yet understand, are breathing with us here in this breathing world. And so lift us up, I pray. Gather us in your wings. May we be little chicks seeking safety with you, learning to breathe again, learning to be people who allow others to breathe again. Reconcile us. Make us new again. Thank you for your work on the cross. 
of showing us that there is no mess you cannot clean. There are no dry old bones that cannot be alive again. So to your breath and for your breath, because of your breath, we worship you. We thank you. Amen. <laughs>